but I feel being here with you is an awesome experience. And I want to thank all of you, the faculty, the students, for inviting us. And thank you for your gracious words, Jim. My wife, Lena, is with me, and I want her to stand up so that you can give her a warmer welcome. We have two boys, Samuel, who's 14 years old, and Stephen, 10 years old, and we miss them. We're here, away from them, Lena for a month, and I for about seven weeks, and I want you to pray for them. I've been telling Sammy that uh, he may join the Master's College, but I've been feeling maybe I should come and join and study with you. I've never been to school. Just studied all on my own, doing correspondence courses. And I want to tell you some things about what the Lord Jesus means to me and how he's impacted me. I want to thank Chris and Teresa, I hope I got your name correct, for singing that song, How Can They Hear? And I thank God for people who came to India, people who came alongside my life, and help me to understand that Jesus really cares, Jesus loves me, loves me enough, loved me enough to die for me on the cross, take my sin upon himself and suffer and die that I might be forgiven. The book of Revelation tells us that there'll be in heaven people from every tribe, language, and I'm I'm glad we're all one in Christ. And when Christ became real to me and as I grew up in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I began to understand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. God's grace has helped me not only to understand his love and have the privilege of being a child of God, but God's grace has helped me to know that I'm called to serve him in India, and especially in the state of Maharashtra. I grew up in a Christian family, Christian in the sense that socially they were Christian, but they didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. My parents didn't know, know the Lord Jesus Christ. And my parents didn't get along with one another. It's a sad story. And this verse that I just read particularly appeals to me because one day when I shared almost every detail of my life with another friend of mine who's now living in Orange County here in the United States, he said, how, how did he ever get saved? And I began to realize that it's by the grace of God. There's no other explanation that I got saved. But I'm not going to spend all my time this morning in giving you all the details, but I want to just say that the Lord Jesus Christ had been working in my life, I believe even from the time that I was being born. And he led me into doing a correspondence course while I was in school around... Ten years old, someone put into my hands a postcard 
which I wrote in for a free Bible correspondence course and I studied the book of Mark and then I went through the book of John and then I got more excited in studying the Bible. I didn't know the God of the Bible. I just got excited because I was getting good marks as I sent in my lessons and I got those lessons back. And I went through Mark, I went through John, then I went into the book of Romans, one of the best books to study to get your foundation firm. And then they put me onto the book of Galatians. And after that I wrote back and said, isn't there anything more to do? And they said, no, we've exhausted our courses. But they sent me a New Testament, a small pocket New Testament, and I read through that whole New Testament. And my cousin in Bombay, she put in my hands Billy Graham's book, 300 Answers to Questions, and I read through that book in the two weeks that I was on holiday in Bombay at the age of 15. And on the final day of my vacation in Bombay in 1967 of January, I went to a Youth for Christ rally. And there for the first time, after having been a church goer for many years, singing in the choir and taking part in the Bible class, having done all those correspondence courses for the first time in my life, I heard a personal testimony. And that too from a Muslim. And he stood up there and he started testifying of how he had come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And I thought, that's, in Amy's word, awesome. <laughs> but he helped me to understand that I was missing something. And having a Salvation Army brass band play Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, helped me to come under great conviction because I couldn't sing that song anymore, though I knew it by heart. I knew in my heart I did not know Jesus. And so when the invitation was given that evening, I went forward. But I don't think I fully understood what Jesus meant when he died on the cross and when he offered forgiveness. And it was a process of memorizing scripture using the navigator's memorization process and joining up with a group. You in the United States know it as the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We know it as the Union of Evangelical Students of India. I got discipled and I got influenced by all the books that that little group had. Missionary biographies and missionary books. I got influenced to think about God's concern for the lost, for the whole world. And I began to pray. I began to pray for two things. I prayed, God, call me to serve you. I want to be your servant. I want to be a proclaimer of your word. I want to see people come to know Jesus Christ and God bring into my life the woman of your choice for me. And the first prayer that was answered was God brought Lena into my life. And she's from Maharashtra state. Her first language is Marathi. That confirmed to me that God wanted me to serve in the state of Maharashtra. We got married in 1975. And in 1976, I resigned my job as a schoolmaster. And then in 1977, she resigned her job as well because we believed that she should be with me in the ministry as well as in the home. 
and the Lord led us into full-time ministry with the student work that I had been already involved in. And for three years I worked with university students, though I had never been to university myself. It took them a long time to take me in as one of their staff members. I did my BA while I was working. And as I traveled around the state of Maharashtra, I saw the Church of Jesus Christ in Maharashtra and it broke my heart. And I thought, God, you've got to do something. Because as I traveled, I was able to see young men and young women come to know Jesus Christ, but there was no home and fellowship in which they could be nurtured. Most of our pastors couldn't teach the Word of God. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. It's just that they haven't got the resources that you have in such abundance here in the United States. And so, with this great burden on my heart, I began to pray. And I began to pray every day, God, do something for Maharashtra State. And God led me as I prayed daily for that state of Maharashtra to a friend of mine called Roland Oskerson. And we combined our forces together in prayer. And we began to pray, God, bring about a revival and help us to be part of that process. And God helped us to go and contact Operation Mobilization, and we got involved with Operation Mobilization and praying for over a year. And that was, the prayer effort was the thing that resulted in the formation of a movement of God called Love Maharashtra. And it started as an evangelistic blitz for three months because that's what Operation Mobilization stands for, evangelism in mass. And we had millions of bits of literature and books that we so distributed all over Maharashtra, we had about 350 young men and women from all around the world and we had about 6,000 prayer letters going out every month to every corner of the world and we had people praying for Maharashtra. And to cut a long story short, after that, we got into a training program, training pastors, young people, and in a three-month yearly program, missionaries who felt called of God to be in cross-cultural evangelism and church planting work. And that resulted now in Love Maharashtra becoming uh, the first missionary sending agency in Maharashtra state. And we have four missionaries full-time with us and one evangelist who is a convert from one of our mission fields who's working in reaching out to the lost. I'm also involved in a local church called the Disciples Community Church. We have about 35 to 50 people worshipping with us every Sunday. That grew out of our concern for young people in Pune who were not going to any church. And we began to meet as a house group. And today we have all these people, most of them from non-Christian backgrounds and Roman Catholic backgrounds who have come to know Jesus Christ, first-generation Christians. And it's good to see them grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. From my own background, I've seen that God can reach out to anybody. And as I stand here, I want you to think about your own life and realize that whoever you are, if you seek the Lord with all your heart, God will reveal Himself.
to you. And I know I'm talking to most of you, you are born again Christians. But I want you to think of not remaining static, where you are not being satisfied with what you have, but hungering after God for more, not just of himself, but for more of your life to be used for his glory, so that he can use you as a channel in which to reflect himself to a lost and broken world. If God could save me out of a broken home, out of a situation where I was a hopeless case, and everyone who knew me knew me as a hopeless case, both because of my educational and economic status, as well as because of my own habits, all they could see, say was, here's Chris, a hopeless case. There's no chance for him in life, and if God could take me, save me, and then cleanse me, and call me into his service, and I'm just an earthen vessel in his hands, then God can take you, whoever you are, and use you to impact the world. I've been thinking about your culture. This is my second visit to the United States. The first time I was a bit shocked, to say the least. You all are so different from India. This time I'm not that shocked. But then I began to think, and I think that you all are not too different from India. You have the same nature as Indians. And we are as bad as Americans, and then Americans are as bad as Indians. And both Indians and Americans need Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, there's no hope for anybody. I, I've seen from 86, from my visit in 86 to now, I think I see a few things that are worse in America. America has gone downhill much more than it was in 1986. India's bad. And so is America. And I've said it, and I can say it without overstating it, that Jesus Christ offers the only solution for both our nations. But I think the solution he offers has to come from you and me. As we say to God, God, I'm available to be used as you see fit. Not just for you to meet my needs, but in you meeting my needs, you calling me out to stand for you in this very, very simple world. I've been taking my church through the book of Revelation. And I want to share just one or two verses from chapter 19. My last sermon as I left my home city, Pune, my church, my farewell message was from Revelation chapter 19. We had gone through all the chapters before that. The great hallelujah chorus of chapter 19. I'm not going to take you through all the four hallelujahs, just the first one, and just part of the first one. I told my church, maybe we'll never meet again on earth, but we'll definitely meet in the air. I don't know about you, but I feel there's not too much more time left for us. And we better not be 
caught up in this world. People have been asking us, what do you want to take back home from America when we could take back lots of goodies? But then what's the use of all those goodies? I think the best thing that you have to offer us is the spirituality that you can cultivate in the Lord and through His Word. But the book of Revelation has really impacted me and through the preaching of His Word it has impacted my church. And it's not just what's happening in Kuwait in these days, but the truth of God's Word that convinces me and has begun to convince many people in my local church that there's not much time left. And whether it's because of what's happening with Saddam Hussein these days or whatever else, there's going to come a time when According to chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation, the world system, the religions of the world, the religious system, the commercial system, the political systems of this world are going to be finished. And I better not be a part of those systems. I better have my focus in the heavenlies. I better have my sight on the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to come back in power and great glory. And the book of Revelation is the book that reveals to us the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've been thinking about the Master's College and particularly the students, I want to challenge you from the first two verses of chapter 19 to stop taking all the good things that you have here for granted. And I'm not talking of the material things. Forget it. We can get them in India too. I'm talking about things we can't get in such abundance in India that you have here in such abundance. It's the knowledge of God and His Word. And you in Master's College have it in such abundance. I wish I could steal away from you, John MacArthur. Would you miss him? I've begun to feel maybe you're taking him for granted. I wish I could steal away from you all the tapes and all your books, your bookshop, and take them to India with me. We don't have as many books as you have, as many tapes as you have, as much Christian music as you have. That's the least in my priority. It's those study books that teach you God's Word. Are you taking it for granted? Or are you so caught up in it and it's become not just routine in your life, Jesus has not become a routine in your life. Chapel has not become just a routine in your life, but you're really sold out for God, His Word, and the Lord Jesus Christ and His worship. And John caught up in heaven, he says, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! And what are they worshipping for? What's the great thing that they're caught up in? There's a threefold worship in heaven. This great multitude in heaven is shouting God's praise and saying salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It's a very personal cry. It's a very personal worship time. It's our God that we are worshiping. And this great crowd John sees 
has a personal relationship with God. No doubt it's collective, it's our God. But I'm sure it's collective because first of all, it's personal. It's a very personal relationship. Our God. I trust you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I trust you've repented of your sins. I trust you haven't got a relationship with Jesus Christ which is just there because you're part of a group that keeps saying that they know Jesus Christ. It's very easy to do that. It's very easy to talk Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and God words just because you're part of this college. I hope you have a personal relationship with God. And that happens only through repentance of your sins, through understanding that you are a sinner in the sight of God. All you deserve is hell. And then by understanding that the price had to be paid and it has been paid in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's vindicated through our resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you know Jesus Christ personally. What belongs to our God? Salvation belongs to our God. That's the first thing. What is salvation? It's the forgiveness of our sins. It's not only forgiveness of our sins. Jesus not only forgives me, He cleanses me. He gives me a brand new life in exchange for my sins. Not only does He forgive me and cleanse me, He gives, puts me on the road to heaven. And I'm on the road to heaven even though my feet are on earth. I know where I'm going. Do you? I'm going to heaven. And I better not carry excess baggage. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us we are strangers and pilgrims on earth. Indians are materialistic and so are Americans. And we don't have as much as you have, maybe. It's a very relative thing. But in both countries and all around the world, we have this tremendous inbuilt desire to accumulate. And we're always collecting things that we will not necessarily use. Salvation belongs to our God. It's God's salvation revealed to us in Jesus Christ and we've got to receive that. And keep excited about it. Hallelujah! Because salvation belongs to our God and He shared it with us. I'm saved and I want to keep being excited about my salvation. I don't want to take it for granted. But then I want to also focus on the second thing. Glory belongs to our God. What is glory? It's very hard to explain glory. But it's that intrinsic value of God. God's worth. He's totally other than anything else you can imagine other than me, other than His created world. He's supremely majestic. He's supremely great. He's supremely separated from me. He's truly the only one we can say and mean the word awesome about. He's awesome. And as I meditate on the glory of God, I'm bound to fall on my face in worship of God. Are you caught up in the glory and majesty and splendor of El Shaddai? The great and awesome one who inhabits the heavens and eternity. And then caught up in the glory 
that He shares with you and me in revealing Himself and condescending to dwell in our hearts. Isn't that awesome? I learned a chorus which says, How big is God? How big and wide His vast domain? To try to tell, these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe and yet small enough to live within my heart. That's awesome. And then the power of God. Power belongs to our God. Not to President Bush, not to Gorbachev, not to the superpowers, not to the rulers of this present age, not to the demons and devil. Oh no, power belongs to our God. How powerful is God? He's powerful enough just by the word of his mouth to create the world. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He just has to say the word and it happens. That's how powerful God is. And not only has he power to create the world with the word of his power, but he is powerful enough to sustain the universe. Nothing goes wrong. How powerful is God? He's powerful enough to look after my life. How powerful is God? He's powerful enough to look after all my needs, all my necessities, my family, for all time and all eternity. And someone has said, as we think of these three things, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, what should be the response of our hearts? Because salvation belongs to our God, I will bow down in gratitude to God. Constant gratitude for my salvation. God, you saved me. You didn't have to. I'm no better than anybody else. And there are 800 million people in India, maybe more. And every day, millions are being born. And several millions are dying. And going into a Christless eternity. What was there in me that, God, you chose me? Salvation belongs to our God. And I'm eternally indebted. That's the response of my heart. Glory belongs to our God. The response of my heart and yours has to be reverence. Many of us are going buddy-buddy with God. We've got to learn to fear God. And because we're going buddy-buddy with God, and God's become a nice old man and daddy, too pally, we live the life that we live. I tell you, if we really reverence God, our lives are going to be different. We'll be bound constantly to be evaluating our lives in accordance with God's standards. We need to be caught up in the glory of God so that we bow down in reverence and fear God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've got a lot of knowledge. And I tell you, America, you've got so much information. I couldn't begin to start putting it into my head. That's so much information you have and maybe you take it for granted. For me, it's, it's awesome. But do you have wisdom? Wisdom comes through fearing God and reverencing His name and getting caught up in His character and His attributes of holiness. The greatest thing about God's character is not so much His love. Oh yes, God is love. And his love is greater than any other kind of love, but greater than his love 
that needs to grip our hearts and minds is His holiness. God is holy. And if we begin to understand the great holiness of God, we're bound to reverence Him and fear Him and fall down before Him. And our lives are going to be shattered. If there's one prayer I want you to pray for me is that God will constantly shatter me and keep me a broken man. Jacob wrestled with God and, and God had to really deal with him. And he became a lame man before he could become Israel. I want to be a lame man, a broken man. Pray for me. That's the best prayer you can pray. Because a contrite and broken heart, God doesn't despise. We need to fear God, reverence Him. And the power of God, if God is really powerful and I know God to be powerful, I'm going to trust Him. I'm not going to doubt Him anymore. You have problems with assurance. You have problems with, with trusting God. While you're at school here, you have problems with trusting God for your career and your, your marriage. Your problems with trusting God for your kids. Your problems with trusting God if He calls you to the mission field. There are some people in India who keep telling me, I don't want God to call me to be a missionary because I'm afraid. God, I'm willing to do anything, but don't make me a missionary. I need to be caught up in understanding the power of God. I'm going to be able to trust Him and say, God, anything. My life is going to be a blank check. You can fill in anything. I've signed my life away. And I can sign my life away to God because I know, constantly know, that He's all-powerful, the Almighty God. And may I remind you that this hymn of praise John focuses on as he sees this heavenly crowd in the midst of a tremendously terrible and terrifying situation. He was on the Isle of Patmos and all the believers were under great persecution. They had nothing in this world. Everything was taken away from them. They had no hope in this world. They were under tremendous, tremendous persecution. And if anybody had a reason to doubt God and His power, it was the Christians of the time of John who was on the Isle of Patmos. But he's able to see and understand that salvation and glory and power belongs not to the Roman Emperor with all its all its power, but it belongs to our God. And therefore they shout out Hallelujah. That's all I have to share with you this morning. The rest is tremendously important too, but I thought I'm going to share just these these three things to become part of your life. Remember your salvation that it comes from God. Keep focusing on the glory of God. And then the awesome power of God. And as you worship God, not just in chapel hour, but through every hour of every day, your life becomes a sweet melody of praise as you live for His glory. That's going to keep you because you know that salvation and glory and power belongs not to me, not to the powers of this world, but to Jehovah God. Shall we pray?